flat is a state of mind. Get to know the people, science, and stories that make the Kansas outdoors more than flyover country. This is Flatlander Podcast, presented by the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks and the Kansas Wildlife Federation. What I see on my dirt is undescribable as the Bible. Hey, Flatlanders. Welcome back to another episode of All Things Outdoors in Kansas. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay. And I am Nadia. I'm Tana. And I'm Laura. And we're here with a very special episode. It's just us. And <laughs> by us, I mean us hosts. Uh, we don't have a guest today. And today we're going to be talking all about the podcast, ourselves, nature, and everything in between. So buckle up if you're driving and enjoy it while you get to know us host. Oh, yeah. Well, this is such a fun episode because this is really the first time all of the hosts, all of us have been together in one room. We're together. Yeah. Finally. It's, it's wild. So the energy yeah. is pretty good. I'm really excited yeah. for this conversation. <laughs> yes. So with COVID and everything else and then just different travel um, between all of us, we, we do have some distance between some of us, <coughs> Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> then it's so great to all be together and have our voices in one room and feed off that energy. Yeah. And today's topic is going to be super exciting because this is something that I'm curious about myself. Lindsay, you want to tell them what we're going to be talking about? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, we're going to talk be- about Laura's mission in life. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about Laura. This it's is a special me. episode topic. No. She's our special guest, even though she's one of our hosts. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm excited too, because I really don't know any of your hunting or outdoors women origin stories. And I think it's important to get all those out on the table. We're going to talk about goals. We're going to talk about challenges, what we love about Kansas public land what we are trying to tell everybody on this podcast and just everything in between. So you will learn along with us because I don't know everybody's backstory either. So this should be interesting. And this is such an exciting thing too, because we're seeing, um, you know, in modern times, the image of a hunter, that traditional image of like, it's a male in a plaid jacket sitting out in the woods trying to shoot a deer. That image is changing so drastically and we're becoming more, more of a diverse group um, with more diverse stories and intros into the outdoors. So we're going to celebrate that a little bit today. For sure. But we still love plaid. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Kudos to the people that could go out in the woods and shoot a deer in a red plaid jacket. It had none of that fancy camo, none of that gear. Yeah. That's impressive. Hashtag goals. Yeah. <laughs> that might be my goal for 2021, actually. Just to take a deer in red, red plaid? Yeah, like an old-fashioned. Because, yeah, people back in the day didn't have to wear camo. Or they didn't wear camo. It's true. So maybe I always had like an Elmer Fudd hat. Yeah, I'm telling yeah. you. Okay. So now we, you know Laura's mission in life, and that's a wrap. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> should we talk about my mission? Yes. I think we should. Okay. Yeah. We've teased it enough. So my goal, my fantasy, is to come across a group of hunters after a waterfowl hunt, and they're all sitting around in a diner drinking coffee, and they're talking about the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. <laughs> <laughs> And they're like educated and they're debating and it's just, it's super productive and they're like really in tune with policy. That is the goal Uh, for me, for this podcast. What about you guys? I do have to say the imagery of that um, has modified a little bit since the last time I heard it, Laura. (laughs) Cleaned it up. You know, before I get into kind of what our goals are, I think it's worth mentioning that that was really the motivating vision for this entire podcast. Laura was your like life mission. Um, it's really what helped kick this off the ground, that amongst other things. But Yeah, because I think a lot of people, 
are comfortable talking about politics and sports and, you know, all manner of things, but we need to be talking more about wildlife and there's not enough people out there talking about wildlife. So, um, in, in, in an intelligent way too, like with all the facts. So informed, informed, informed. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Informed. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I would say professionally, I share Laura's mission. So as you guys know, serving as chief of public affairs for wildlife and parks, a huge part of our job in that shop is to get information out. We want people to be educated and informed so that they can have enjoyable outdoor experiences. But we also want advocates. We need advocates. Wildlife, wild places need advocates. And so I love that mission. I don't know that it has to take place in a coffee shop. But um, Migratory Bird Treaty Act, yeah, let's talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, it comes down to not, uh, the image that KDWPT has is that of hunting and fishing. And we are so much more than that. So Mm -hmm. for me, this podcast represents talking about everything in Kansas, our public lands, threatened and endangered species, aquatic nuisance species, uh, boater safety. And we're going to have an awesome boater episode coming up pretty soon. So look for that one. And it's just everything outdoors. We want to educate you guys on the bats that we have here in Kansas and everything in between, not just about hunting and fishing, even though that is a big part of it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think for me, you know, it's kind of there's there's two parts. Um, I was really blessed to grow up in a super outdoorsy family. And I think on every podcast I've ever been on, I've like shouted out my mom and dad for that. Like, hey, I'm this nerd that's like, hey, mom and dad, thanks. <laughs> but, um, thanks for raising me right. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was, I'm so thankful for it. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that maybe their parents didn't have that knowledge in their back pocket. And uh, so I hope that we're maybe reaching those folks or reaching anybody that didn't get that information and wasn't blessed with that lifestyle. Um And getting them in now, you know, it's never too late. And I think from a work perspective, we've talked about my job is recruitment, retention, reactivation. So trying to get more people involved, get them out in the outdoors. And I think this podcast does just that. It gives us a platform to think and talk about some of these bigger ideas in wildlife, to consider them, but then also to explore our role and our place and how we want to interact with these wild places and spaces out in the flatlands. Well said. Amen. Well said. Yeah, that was awesome. Okay. Um, I think, I think for me, what I want to know about you guys is, um, like, what are you most proud of and about being in the outdoors, like a hunt or a memorable experience that you had mentoring somebody else, or like maybe you came across a fawn in the field somewhere and you just were in awe of nature itself. Like, tell me one of your moments that you just had in nature. Can I go first? Yes. Okay. Because I have something very specific in mind. For me, proudest is um, taking my dog that I trained out on a dove hunt, just me and her on public lands by myself. Like that to me, it does not get better than that. So I'm different than Tana and others and that I didn't grow up with a traditional outdoor background. I grew up in California. I was a beach girl then moved to the desert. And my grandfather was really neat and that he really wanted to get us into fishing. We would go up into the mountains and we would fish, but I was very little. And unfortunately when he passed away, so did my mentor, you know, so I didn't have somebody who was pushing to get me into the outdoors. Fast forward, moved to Kansas. Obviously I've done a 180 because now I not only enjoy hunting and fishing, but I work for the agency that's all about it. But needless to say, I picked up hunting later in life. And it wasn't until I got my black Labrador Coda 
that that just changed everything for me. All of a sudden I had a reason greater than myself to get outdoors and seeing her excitement is almost more enjoyable for me than like me being successful. So, um, I remember the very first year that I took her out, it was actually to, um, near the Pratt Sandals area, the Texas wildlife area. And, uh, it was the first week of dove season and I loaded her up in the truck and just me and her hiked out to this spot that we had been before with my husband and our other dogs. And, uh, I only shot maybe three or four doves that day, but just the fact that I knew everything I needed to bring, I knew where I was going. I planned it out. It worked well. I got my girl some birds and we went home and it was just the best day ever for me. It's the independence and, um, that girl time, the girl time with my dog. Absolutely. That's I love cool. that story. That yeah. good story. <laughs> and that's interesting that you came from California and you became an outdoors woman in Kansas. Cause I have the opposite situation. And I was born and raised in Johnson County, suburbs, vegetarian, went out to California and became an outdoors woman there. That's incredible. And I decided, I guess my proudest moment is when I decided, okay, if I'm going to eat meat, I need to be able to kill it myself. Absolutely. And so my first thing was diving for abalone in the Pacific. And here I am, this Kansas girl wearing two wetsuits and (laughs) (laughs) sharky waters waves um and you have to hold your breath and you dive down and get the abalone and then so I I got my first abalone and uh gutted it and prepped it with my friends and it was just an amazing experience and it really I felt like it tapped into that evolutionary narrative you know 15 million years we've been hunters and gatherers and it it just really like opened up something in me so I think my proudest moment is making that decision and doing it myself I love that. See, I, and I feel I should clarify, especially for you guys who are listening and you're like, California, oh, I'm writing her off. <laughs> um, I should say, I still love California. I was born there. Um, but I would say I've always been outdoorsy, but not in the sense of hunting and fishing. Um, I was very much a tomboy. And so I would go outdoors all the time with my brother and find skeletons and dig things up and we would go hiking. And, and so I've always enjoyed nature, but it just, it got brought to another level when I moved to Kansas. But that's so interesting that our stories are paralleled that way. See, I learned something new about you today. Yeah. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay, what about you? I, so I grew up hunting and fishing. My dad's a big avid outdoors sports guy. And, um, so I grew up doing that, but when I went to college and grad school, it very much fell to the wayside. I did not go hunting or I would maybe go fishing a couple of times a year, if even like once or twice when I was in school and everything. And, uh, once I got out of school, I started to get back into things and really started appreciating, understanding where my food was coming from. Like that was the big thing for me. And I learned all of this information about Beef mushrooms and well, yeah, yeah mushrooms. <laughs> but, um, beef and its impact on the environment and all this other stuff that played into my decision to start trying to gather my own food. So I started hunting a lot more and primarily it was only deer. And I mean, a deer or two will fill my freezer and feed us for a whole year, if not oh, yeah. a little bit longer. So like that was enough for us, but now I've started branching out thanks to you amazing ladies who have been mentors to me and encouraged me to try a uh, different wild game. And, um, Tana and Laura, you were with me when I took my first Turkey. I mean, you were there, you experienced it with me. Um, I'm hoping to do a dove hunt soon and everything else in between. But uh, yeah, I just, I started getting back into it. But I think for my proudest moment, it kind of goes along with you, Nadia, in that it was just being 
independent Mm -hmm. and it wasn't even a hunting and fishing experience. That was my proudest moment. It was going out and camping by myself completely alone, like off the grid camping, not in like an established campsite, but where it was okay to be out there and like have a fire and just fend for myself. That was my proudest moment. I felt really connected to our planet and I felt really connected to the space that I was in. And it was just a really incredible eye-opening moment for me. And from then on, I've just been, I mean, even more in love with the outdoors than I was as a kid. And it's just kind of, it just keeps growing. The more that I learn about being outside and the more I learn to appreciate the resources that we have. I've gotten really into foraging in the outdoors. Like I love eating dandelions. Like that's so crazy. To, <laughs> that's a whole other episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whole thing. <laughs> I, I love dandelions. I love foraging for mushrooms and I just love teaching people about it. So that's kind of my proud moment experience in the outdoors. I love that. It's very powerful. I think, oh man, there's so many, the outdoors, as we all know, can humble you. (laughs) Um, It can knock you down, but it can also build you back up again. And it's hard for me to choose proud moments. I remember when I came to Pratt to interview for my current job, um, my dad had told me stories about the Pratt Education Center. Um, And if you all haven't been to the Pratt Education Center, you should absolutely come. Um, Deidre does a fantastic job keeping that building up and running, and it, it really does look awesome. And it's had some recent renovations, but... Um, my dad told stories about how my grandpa used to take my dad there when he was a little boy and there's a giant bison head on the wall. And my dad told my grandpa, or sorry, my grandpa told my dad when he was a little boy, um, he was, my grandpa was such a good storyteller. And he said that bison got really mad one day and he charged through the wall. He said, if you watch that bison long enough, you'll see it blink. Ah. (laughs) And so my dad at like six years old is just, you know, cowering under this giant bison head. And so I remember when I came to Pratt to interview and I walked through the nature center and seeing that bison head there and knowing like the, oh, I don't even know the impactfulness of that, of like my grandpa had been there and my dad had been there. Um, and then when I was lucky enough to get the job, it was very much like grandpa was there and he was part of that, which is so like, I don't even know if I believe in that sort of thing, but it was, it was really powerful. And then um, in the field, I would say I had the wonderful opportunity to mentor a gal pal, uh, Amy Bowsman, who uh, we'll probably talk to her at some point. She's an awesome gal, but Um, I got to take her out on a special hunt, which is an awesome program we offer. You all should check that out on our website, the special hunts program. But um, we went out for her first deer hunt and she was lucky enough to be able to harvest a deer and she did a fantastic job. She worked so hard. She was so patient and it was such a powerful experience because she's a single mom and, you know, she's going through some stuff in life now, like a lot of people are and um, getting this deer for her was so powerful and she spoke about it, not just meat on the table, you know, not just food for her family and something her kids could be involved in, but also this sense of accomplishment and independence that came from this. It was so powerful for her. This is something that she'd been dreaming of doing. And it was very symbolic of her gaining her independence and um, just being this wonderful, powerful woman that could provide for her family, could provide for herself and could take on these new experiences. So I was so proud of her and feel so grateful to have been a part of that experience. Go, Amy. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's interesting that all of us touched on independence Mm. as the thing. And yet there's this strong community, too, here in Kansas. So, like, you're doing this really independent thing by yourself or you're mentoring somebody, but then it's nice to come back or go online on social media and just see all of the excitement around hunting and fishing and being outdoors in Kansas. I think that's such a cool thing about the outdoors, too, because you you go out there and you're deer hunting, maybe, and you're enjoying that solitude of being in the woods by yourself and it's quiet and 
every little squirrel or quail that scutters by is a giant buck. You know, you get so excited, but then uh, you go out on a dove hunt or a pheasant hunt with an entire group of people and maybe friends and family. And it's a whole new dynamic and both are so magical and so special. And each one you're like, man, this is great. I should do this more often. So I think that's a, that's cool that you noticed that Laura. Yeah. When, when we did that pheasant hunt in November, last November, I think it was, that was the first time I'd really done a hunt like that as an adult. I mean, when I was a kid, I would help push birds for my dad and my uncles and everything. And, but that sense of community, like it was a whole different atmosphere. That was an extreme bonding moment for me to you guys. I was like, (laughs) man, I'm really getting to know these ladies today. That's right. It was awesome. Yes. The Mm -hmm. trust that was there. I mean, it takes a lot to walk a field with people and to have firearms and trust that they are following all the safety protocols and everything. And mm-hmm. I am so glad that I have met you ladies. I mean, it has been a turning point for me legitimately. So. Well, we also captured it. like the best photo of you ever that day when you were, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so excited and just celebrating that hunt. Um, it was a really great photo. It was very triumphant. <laughs> it was. How did you prep that pheasant? Did you Have you eaten it yet? Yeah, we, we ate it. I slow roasted it in the oven and uh, I just kind of kept basting it. The only part that got a little dried out were its legs because I didn't cover them in tinfoil to keep them from getting dried out, but mm-hmm. didn't cook it very long. It was just a beautiful, beautiful bird and we had like a tiny Thanksgiving feast with it. It was Aww. mashed potatoes and Brussels and now I'm hungry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting that we're talking about the different dynamic that exists when you're out of doors because I picked up on this this past weekend. My husband and I uh, camped at Cheney State Park. And by the way, quick little side note. I camped in my vehicle for the first time. So you guys know that I have a three row SUV and I do not have children of my own. So I really needed to justify having this extra large vehicle. (laughs) Here's how I did it. I camped in it. So I lowered the, the last two rows, piled up the blankets, brought some pillows from home, had all the windows open, including the sunroof. Guys, I'm onto something here. When you can lay in the vehicle and look up through the sunroof and see the stars, you really feel, you know, like you're being really outdoorsy, but it was actually surprisingly comfortable. And I'm like, hey, I have a tent on the go now. Anywhere I go, I can now camp. But that's beside the point. (laughs) What I was thinking about this weekend at Cheney State Park was we were in a pretty crowded campsite area. And we know that given COVID, you know, people are rediscovering you know, the joy of the outdoors, which is amazing. But it also means when you go out, you're going to be around a lot of people, especially on the weekends when the weather's nice, right? I couldn't believe how friendly everybody was. I mean, you think about it, you had all of these different types of people crowded into this campsite area, um, different types of campers. You have, you know, old, young, um, you know, you have the people who are out there to have a really good time. Other people who are out there just to relax and keep things quiet and everybody got along. And I know that that's not the case at, at every state park, at every campsite, you're always going to run into some issues. Shout out to our park managers, our park rangers, public land staff, and game wardens, because I know you guys have to deal with that sometimes, but at any rate, It really was an enjoyable weekend. And I thought, where else can you go where people are going to be that friendly and be willing to share their stuff with you or to come over and say hi and ask you how your weekend's going? I mean, we go to the grocery store all the time to go get food, right? No one's going to stop you and ask you how your weekend's going. And if they do, you're probably going to be really put off like, what's going on? Why are you approaching me? (laughs) At a campsite, it's a different story. It's a different kind of community. And I think that is so cool that the outdoors can do that for us. 
God, no kidding. Jeez. There's a lot of nodding heads in this room. If you're wondering what the silence was, we're all in agreement. Nadia just leaves us speechless. I can't. Okay. We have to, we have to back up a little bit. You're camping. So you, if you guys don't know Nadia, she's about as hardcore as they come. She's awesome. Um, but I have to point out that your, uh, camping trip might've had some, was it pink flamingos or okay. uh, listen, too. there was some decor life, yeah, life is a party. Okay. <laughs> and yes, I definitely went to the dollar store. Um, thank goodness. My husband is a good sport because yes, I decked out the inside of my SUV with some flamingos and twinkle lights and a little sign that said tiki time. So, <laughs> Hey man, I life's a beach. You yeah, know, absolutely. <laughs> another example of you going in 110%. Yeah. I feel like yeah. well, we, had yeah. to, we had to bring that up. I yeah. Once you get that one yeah. by, <laughs> you know, well, yeah, I like to keep things fun. I love it. That's awesome. Well, Nadia, I appreciate you uh, humoring us with that one because I did. I love your life as a party mentality, but um, as we know, like I said before, the outdoors can humble you and it comes with its fair share of challenges. So when you're not, um, you know, celebrating tiki time and with your flamingos, there are some really tough uh, obstacles we're up against. So Laura, I wonder if you might talk to us a little bit about some of the memorable challenges you've experienced in the outdoors. Uh, yeah, this past year season was probably my biggest challenge. I sat out for seven days, I took seven days off work. Um, and sat out on public land during rifle season for seven days and only saw one doe and then a buck after shooting light. And so that was frustrating because I didn't get to come home with any meat. But then I'm a very positive, like glass is half full person. And I know that feeling uncomfortable and sitting out in nature and being cold and bored is really good for your mental health. So in the end, it was a positive experience, but man, seven days, like that was rough and a two-year-old at home. And then my husband, who's a bow hunter and just like so good and always brings home deer. It was a bit frustrating uh, for me, but again, every challenge comes with a positive spin for me. So yeah, yeah. I, I had a similar experience this last deer season. I mean, I was also out for seven days. A couple of those days, I just sat in that blind for 12 hours. I did not move. I did nap. Um, but I, I mean, I saw a couple of deer, but they were never within range to take an ethical shot. And I just did not feel comfortable. Um, I didn't want to potentially just wound an animal and then not be able to find it. Um, I would rather wait and take an option that is closer. And I know that I'm actually going to harvest that animal without, um, causing it undue harm or excess harm. And, um, yeah, it's sometimes it's not about just, taking something home. It's about the experience because even though I did not get a deer this last season, I still had an awesome time because I got to bird watch. I got to see a lot of really cool stuff go on and it was just a good time for me to kind of reconnect because I hadn't been outside for a while and it was cold, but it was like when you breathe in that icy cold air and it kind of burns your lungs a little bit, but it wakes you up all at the same time. I loved getting up at five o'clock every morning to get in that stand and just wait. And I got to watch the sunrise in Kansas. And if you know about Kansas sunrises and sunsets, I mean, they're, they're breathtaking. So it's, it's not always successful, but it is always an awesome experience. Well, and it's hard. So I'm curious, how do you deal with the boredom? Because I think the boredom is my most challenging thing. And my my smartphone always dies in the cold, which is good. Mm-hmm. But like, you're just sitting there. So you mentioned bird watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do a lot of bird watching and I do a lot of other wildlife watching. Um, I was fortunate enough that I got to see uh, like a bobcat kind of be bopping oh, around. Cool. It was Very just like, cool. it, 
I didn't get to see him for very long, but he was just like right on the crest of this hill. It wasn't very far for me, but then he went down on the other side into this draw and I couldn't see him again, but it was a really cool experience. Um, I also take a book so that I can read in between those long spaces of time. Um, and, or sometimes I'll read on my phone, but if it is really, really cold out, it mine, mine will die too. But I take a book and, um, yeah, I've just, I'm fortunate that I have a mind that allows me to just make do and like get entertainment out of any situation that I'm in. So I'm fairly good at keeping myself entertained. Uh, <laughs> but where, but I know that that's not always the case for some people. So I would recommend taking a book or something to do while you're out there. I know some people will nature journal, like they'll sit there and draw birds and stuff that they see or the landscapes that they have going Try on. That. Yeah. It's, it's a good way to pass the time too. But also boredom is very good for your mental health. Studies have shown. So. <laughs> I, I need to read these studies. <laughs> I'll give them to you. We'll link to them. <laughs> For the record, you're pretty good at keeping us entertained too, Lindsay. <laughs> so I think there's a broader message here. And sometimes the way I interpret it when I'm out in the field is guilt of like, there's so much going on in the world today. And I think probably all outdoors men and women, outdoors folk have experienced um, that almost guilt feeling of when you're out in the woods, you know, you're enjoying yourself, but maybe you're not seeing exactly what you're out there to get. It's hard in a world today that is so instant, that is, um, you know, kind of that instant gratification that on to the next thing, on to the next thing, got to get the kids to practice, got to get uh, dinner on the table, got to get the laundry done, whatever it is. Um, you can feel guilty for sitting out there in the woods and Laura brought it up. It's so good for your mental health to be out there. It's great exercise. Um, but I think that's one of my biggest challenges in the outdoors is struggling with that guilt of like, thinking of all the work emails I could have answered in that seven hours that I sat in a tree stand or sat in a blind or something. Tana, I can so relate. It's not, it's not a a feeling that's present all the time, but you're absolutely right. It's also guilt in that, uh, being productive, right? So it's like, if I'm out here, I need to make really good use of my time. Otherwise this was a waste of time. And that's such a, a poor mental space to be in. And I I think we're right too. You know, I will, I'll get out of doors. And if, you know, even if I'm fishing and I'm, you know, I've casting and casting and casting and nothing's happening, you know, it's learning to be good with having a simple task in front of you. I I notice how often I grab my phone because I feel the need to be multitasking all the time. And the outdoors is a perfect reminder that sometimes it's great to just be like Laura said, you know, for your mental health. Um, I know I've had, uh, challenges, some of my challenges more recently have been, you know, once you found success in the field, there's, uh, I know I sometimes put pressure on myself to maintain that level of success. And if I'm not meeting that level of success or doing better then I'm failing as a hunter or an angler. And also the pressure, you know, uh, the longer I work here and the more, more people I get to meet, um, you know, the outdoors community is really cool. You're not going to meet more more passionate people than the people who love to hunt and fish and camp. Um, but I think there's also this expectation, um, and social media adds to that, you know, so when you're going out in a hunt or when you're going fishing and you're thinking, Oh my gosh, not only did I not produce anything, but now what, what do I, I have nothing to show on social media. I have to show, I have to, you know, and the reality is, is that most people aren't going to hold that expectation. Those are self-imposed expectations, but I think it goes back to the, I have to produce, And that's not what the outdoors is about. It's about the experience and the enjoyment. And so Laura's absolutely right. Those times where nothing is happening, that sometimes is so good for us to just get back to that space of just being good with the opportunity that's there. And then when you do get something, it's all the sweeter. 
Oh yeah. Well, and like at no point when you're in the outdoors, are you not learning? You're always mm-hmm. learning something, even if it's passively absorbing something that like just out of the corner of your eye, you happen to see something and you made mental note of that, even if you didn't consciously realize it. Um, which, that's such a powerful thing to just be outdoors in that like ever revolving classroom if you want to get really metaphorical with it. Yeah. When I've been in the tree stand hunting deer and, uh, you know, in the past I've started near the beginning of the season and I, I just go until I eventually get a deer that could be into December. It could be earlier. And so I've had days where I'm like, all right, I'm bringing my food with me. I'm going to be in that tree stand all day long, no matter what, I'm not getting down for anything. And, uh, you do, you have moments where I wouldn't say I was bored, but I get really complacent and I start getting maybe a little bit louder. I'm not so conscious about, you know, how much I'm moving around. And I find that nature is so funny and that it almost gives you like little reminders. Like just Mm -hmm. when I start getting a little too comfortable, I'll hear a noise behind me. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that I do to kind of keep my brain sharp is I try to identify the sounds around me without looking to see what it is. It's almost like a little test. Oh, I like that. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Most of the time I'll tell you, spoiler alert, it's a squirrel. It's a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing how many different sounds a squirrel can make. But I will say the most interesting sounds I've heard have come from raccoons. Oh, oh yeah. they are, they are very weird. Yeah. And yes, especially when they're angry. Yeah. Yes. I have never been more scared. There's been two. Let's talk about this real quick. Yes, okay. Let's have some fear moments too. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's get to the, yeah. To fear factor, you know, wildlife and parks, uh, KWF edition. Um, I've had two instances where I've been pretty freaked out in the stand. I've never been never been worried about other people, you know, especially when hunting public land, I've gotten freaked out by some of the noises that the animals make. So I remember specifically one hunt, I was sitting in the tree stand. There was a lot of movement. It was near the rut, lots of deer, lots of does going back and forth. And you could tell they were being chased because they were kind of scurrying through the trails. And uh, I kept seeing quite a few bucks and I thought, sure enough, you know, one of these, one of these times the big boy is going to come through and it got dark. And just as I was about to lower my bow, get my bag and start climbing down, like four or five deer come in. There was just, you know, it was just enough light that I could tell. And these bucks start going at it right below my tree. And I'm not necessarily scared of a, of a buck. I mean, granted, I don't want to have one of those antlers, you know, get me. But when you hear like that grunting and that slamming, <clears throat> excuse me, it's almost like I, I equate it to like bighorn sheep when I lived in California, those rams like going at it. Mm-hmm. It is really loud when it's right below you. And I thought at first, this is kind of freaky. And then it became super cool. And then it was like, oh my gosh, they're not going to stop. Am I ever going to be able to go home? <laughs> I think they went at it for like a good solid 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so needless to say, that was kind of an interesting experience. The other time also occurred in the dark. It's always when it gets dark that things get interesting. Um, And I couldn't identify the sound at first. Uh, It sounded like something was dying. Uh, It definitely was not. It was ended up being some raccoons that were fighting over some food. Mm. But the sounds that come out of a raccoon, can I just say... I'm going to use the word demonic. (laughs) It is something otherworldly and guttural and screeching. It's like, I'm surprised that sound hasn't been used in horror movies because it's like a cat meets 
demons meets I don't even yeah. know what. Yeah. But uh, that'll scary. freak you out if you don't know the, the sounds that a raccoon can make when you're alone in the woods and it's dark. It's a little freaky. It's scary. I feel like we basically have a script written for the Flatlander horror movie spinoff. Like- oh my gosh, coming to you this October. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah, I think my biggest fear, so yeah, like you, Nadia, I've never been afraid of people, mostly because I have a loaded firearm. And I also carry bear spray. Just oh, for, not for that people? I'm going to run it. Yeah. For people. Yeah. Naturally. I bought it when I was working in Alaska and I just haven't. Demonic just raccoons. Have it. Yeah, maybe demonic raccoons. <laughs> it's a thing, um, guys. But, no. mount, you know, mountain lions have been in the news recently. And, of course, we all know they're here in small numbers. But it is kind of a little freaky when you're hiking back from your stand or wherever you are, wherever you were sitting back to your car and it's evening and you know that that's like primo mountain lion hunting time. Um, so I'm always kind of looking over my shoulder and trying to make myself look bigger. Never had any run-ins. For, certainly in California, it was more... Um, frequent to see them but yeah that's kind of my fear factor thing is lions yeah yeah Yeah, I feel that too it's like at my parents house their mailbox is way at the end of their road they live out in the country and I would walk out there at night and then I would like start to walk back to the house and then I would end up running back to the house because I would get scared oh yeah (laughs) don't run because then you look like a fine I know I know know. but it's just like I don't know. One of those, it's my imagination getting the best of me. Cause yeah. it's like they live on top of this hill and they're just surrounded by wide open fields. So I know a mountain lion is not going to be out there stalking me in these wide open, like not grassy agricultural field areas that are oh, just yeah. wide open. You're so good. I'm not worried about that. It's like <laughs> my imagination that imagines these like giant flying things, like coming down to eat me. It's like flying monkeys. Not really a From monkey. Wizard of Oz. What are those things? Those are not Kansas native. Like <laughs> giant Mississippi kites. Like what's going Ooh, on here? Yeah, that is a farm. I don't know what it is. No, but they're like it. they have giant leathery wings. I don't oh know what gosh. their faces look it's like. It's called a turkey vulture. It's called no. my imagination. <laughs> well, it's like it's yeah. like when you turn the lights off in the basement and you're like, I'm an adult now. I don't have to run back up the stairs, but you do. Anyway, you do. Yeah, you get scared. Yes, I get that. I I do. Maybe I'm privileged in the sense that I get to talk often to Matt Peak, and I know you guys know who Matt Peak is, but for our listeners, if you have never heard a presentation from Matt Peak, you have not lived life. <laughs> Matt is one of our research biologists, and he is the go-to man at our agency when there is such an occurrence, a wildlife sighting like a mountain lion. So I say I've been really fortunate in that. I've had a lot of conversations with him. He's a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of information, super intelligent, super involved, and uh, I, this incident you're referring to about the mountain lion in Wichita, um, I, you know, I guess I'm more excited than anything else. I do understand that there is yeah. there's a, a danger there. But uh, I do want you guys to know and our readers, our listeners to know, too, that um, most of these animals are transient animals. They're they're usually young males looking to establish a new territory. Um, sometimes they're just flat out lost. Sometimes they're in search of food. Um, and I, I guess, you know, out of all of the, the sightings that we've had in the state, they are, they're absolutely here. Animals know no bounds. That's the cool thing about wildlife. They're not like us in that, you know, they see a state line. Um, but I don't know that we necessarily have anything to fear. You have to remember, um, uh, while they are capable of, you know, causing harm, so are we. And, uh, you know, really, uh, it's just, it's, it's where our lives commingle. You know, we, we establish these suburban, you know, urban areas. Um, but like I said, wildlife know no bounds. And so, um, you know, I would really only be concerned 
if uh, there was um, abnormal behavior being demonstrated by an animal, you know, perhaps rabies or something, of, uh, you know, I would be more concerned about diseases. Um, also, shout out to Shane Hesting, who also works out of our Emporia Research and Survey Office. He's another one of our extremely intelligent staff members. And I'll tell you what, I've had a conversation with him and I am far more scared about the diseases that can be contracted than being attacked yeah, by an animal. Definitely, Absolutely. So um, I would say approach those situations with curiosity and excitement. It's really kind of a neat thing that we get to experience that. You know, granted, we don't want anyone's house pets, you know, to uh, become food. But you have to remember, you know, uh, the the motive isn't always I'm here to eat something or to attack. Mm, uh, sure. It could be passing through. So. Yeah. And it doesn't enhance is the experience, I think, knowing that there's these megafauna that once existed here more uh, frequently, you know, 10,000 years ago, they're still here. Like, that's awesome. That's I was super, super cool. excited with that footage from Wichita. Yeah. Oh, me too. That like, was amazing. I think I watched it 40 times. Yeah. Like, this is so cool. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you an instant, an instance recently where I was a, li a little fearful, but I feel like it had, we had good reason. Can we talk about the two alligators that were released? Oh, oh wow. okay. Yeah. My, my, yeah. Yeah. So there's an instant, you know, instance where that's not normal. We shouldn't yeah. have those types of species, you know, out in a river or in a pond. In that case, yeah, I'd be a little concerned to go fishing around that area. Mm -hmm. I had that irrational fear when I was little. I grew up on Clinton Lake in the Lawrence area. And I was like, what is stopping the bad people from putting bull sharks in this bull lake? Sharks. Bull sharks. I was so yes. sure. I was Very like, niche. Some nefarious human, because those people exist, are going to like <laughs> drop bull sharks in my lake. And I was just sure. Just sure. So uh, I feel like we need to have a little disclaimer here. If you are thinking what Tana said is a good idea, it is not. Uh, <laughs> there, there are human. rules and regulations against releasing animals into the wild. Please do not do that. That includes goldfish. <laughs> that includes goldfish. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. I don't know. I think my most memorable like scare recently, Jacob and I went out for the antlerless pre-rut in October to Clark State Fishing Lake. Um, which is an incredible area. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, but I almost liken it to the Grand Canyon, the way it's like flat land. And then all of a sudden it just opens up. It's Kansas's Grand Canyon. It is so mm. cool. I'm going to use that tagline yeah, now. It's, it's just like cliffs and bluffs. It's a great fishing lake. They've kind of been working on the dam and the water levels lately. So um, that may have changed a little bit, but you know, it's a really well-managed area. Um, you know, nice primitive campsites, but then also there's an attached wildlife area where you can hunt. And so my partner and I were camping out there to hunt the wildlife area. And in the middle of the night, I just hear the sound rustling outside of our tent. And like, I like to think of myself as a Kansas girl. That's like, yeah, you know, I'm not scared of anything out here. I know that I'm the biggest baddest in these woods, <laughs> LOL. Um, no but, woods at Clark, but we get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like wake Jacob up. And I'm like, Jacob, there is something in the woods. And he's just like, okay, like we're the like, what's gonna get us? And I was like, okay, it's either like six deer or some raccoons. And he's like, either way, not a problem for us. Like, why is this? A <laughs> why are you waking me up? For some reason, I was just terrified. Like, I don't know what six deer or a pack of raccoons are gonna do to like maul us to death by a couple of does, but <laughs> I was just terrified for whatever reason. So. I get up the courage to grab my flashlight and I go to shine it outside the tent, right? And like sit up really quick because we're on an air mattress and it makes so much noise. Like that's a calculated risk when you're going to do that. I love this. <laughs> it's 
so I like sit up with my flashlight and I point it out of the tent. But of course the tent is mesh sides. And so that light all reflects back into the tent and none of it shines out. So it's all it does better. is like illuminate the tent, illuminate me in my fear and Jacob's snoring next to me. And like, I don't see anything. So I freak out and like shut the flashlight off and lay back down. I'm like, okay, got to make another move here. So what's it going to be? So I finally got up the courage that I'm going to, I woke up Jacob for good this time. I was like, no, 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 you're not sleeping through this. You're going to suffer with me. Yeah, you got to be here. And as soon as he was awake, I was like, oh yeah, I'm courageous again. It's fine. Got to show off or something. I don't know. But I finally get the courage to poke my head out of the tent and shine the flashlight. And you know what it was? Armadillo. Awesome. It was an armadillo. I knew oh, it. So loud. Those I knew little it. Buggers, they root They're around. So he yeah, was making like little snorting sounds and he was rooting up the backside of our tent, like trying to get underneath it. Oh, he was like oh. up in your business. Yeah, that's why I was so scared. I was like, something is trying to get in our tent. Oh. Like I could hear kind of just the rooting around right outside. Wanted to cuddle. That would freak oh, me out. oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And I just, but he was not scared of us at all. And I was terrified. And Jacob's like, are, are you kidding me? Like I was sleeping so well, but it's, it's funny. Like what your imagination does to you out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, your story reminded me of, and I'm, I'm going to equate my fear somewhat kind of a fear of the dark a little bit. Like when I'm out there by myself, like walking, you know what I mean? to uh, something that my aunt told me when we were camping when we were kids. And um, I heard a noise and I got really freaked out. I was like, what, what is that? She's like, it's aliens. Oh, and then good. she and went then there. She, yeah, she's like, you don't really need to worry if the dogs are still barking, but when the dogs start barking, they are used to them coming around. I was like, why would you say this to oh, a child? Oh my gosh. Yes. So I'm going to equate my semi quasi fear of being outside in the dark. That to can be my terrifying. Aunt. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. yeah. But, um, my like scaredest moment when I was out hunting, um, I was in a deer blind and it was right before dawn. So I, I'd gotten out there really, really early and um, I could barely see the outline of this, this barred owl. I could hear him calling like across the field that I was, that I was sitting on and I was really distracted by this bird. And I, I hear something walk behind me. I was like, oh, it's probably just a deer or something. And then all of a sudden I start hearing something fighting back there. And it wasn't just like fighting. It was very demonic like, mm -hmm. and, um, it was, it scared the bejesus out of me. We're, <laughs> we're talking like adrenaline rush. Like I was shaking. I was like, I'm going to die out here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's good for your mental health. Yeah. Right. That's right. It definitely woke me up. And, um, I could, I very quietly tried to turn around and look behind me and like way, like, not even super far back there, but it was like they were concealed enough behind the trees. It was two bobcats fighting back there. Oh, wow. Dang. That is a scary it sound. It was terrifying. Oh, like, my so gosh. Cool. I know. Where? I'm thinking how unique. Like, it that was, is yeah. crazy. Oh, it was the coolest thing. And I, it was really hard for me. So I couldn't see because my blind didn't have like a back window. So I was like kind of like pushing my head through the mess. Pushing my head through the mesh of my blind and like trying to like see out the little mesh window that was over there. And um, so I could, I could barely see them back there, but it, it scared me a lot. But as soon as I knew what it was, I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Oh, like yeah. it was such a cool experience. I think maybe for our listeners, we need to drop a couple links to the demonic raccoon sounds that we've discussed. Yes. yes. And then also see the if you bobcats. agree, we'll yes. host a little vote, maybe on social media, <laughs> hint, hint, Megan, to see what do you think of when you hear this sound? <laughs> Please vote here. This? Oh yes. my gosh. Maybe we should do a whole segment on like sounds and see if people can identify I like them. it. That would oh, be yeah. Fun. yeah. That'd be lots of fun. You know, I think this, this is such a cool conversation because it, it, 
again, just solidifies in my mind how bonding the outdoors is, you know, you know, the four of us are fortunate in that we're friends and we enjoy spending time together. Um, but even if we didn't have anything in common, the common thread is that we've all had these really unique, interesting, fun, crazy, scary, um, experiences outdoors. Um, and I think it's also cool too, in that even in those moments where you're a little bit freaked out, <laughs> you know, when you get home, you're like, man, you know, where else are you going to get to experience that? It's not like a movie yeah. or going to a show. It's, it's real life, real adrenaline, real excitement, um, real independence. Uh, and I think all of those feelings, all of that is what, that's what the outdoors are about. It's about feeling alive yes. and I've never regretted time spent out of doors. Never. Same. Even the worst, hardest camp out. Freezing, can't yeah. feel yeah. your fingers, Blizzard, hungry. Toes are going to fall th- off. Think about, yeah. <laughs> think about when you get home and have dinner. It's like the best meal yes. oh you've ever gosh. had. And then you sleep in your bed. Yep. It just feels oh. so good. So I have a theory. If you have trouble sleeping, oh. there is no better nap you will ever have in your entire life than after a waterfowl hunt. When you, just like you said, when you've been outside, you've been cold, you've been freezing, you come home and you eat and then you sleep. It's the best sleep I've ever had in my life. (laughs) So if you don't want to get involved in the outdoors for no other reason, do it so you can sleep really well (laughs) after an adventure outdoors. Amen. I sleep better when I'm outdoors. Like I don't know what it is. Not even just in a blind. I mean, Blind napping is awesome, but like just camping out there, oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. the yeah. hard ground, like it fixes my back. It feels like the cold weather, like fresh breeze mm-hmm. on you when you're trying to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nature's fan. Yes. I, I love sleeping in the outdoors. Like it just resets everything. You know, I have to say uh, Kent and Hunter Education would get after me if I didn't mention when we talk about sleeping outdoors. If you are hunting out of a tree stand, make sure that you are wearing your fall arrest system or your safety harness. Um, Kent, if you're hearing this, this is your shout out. (laughs) Um, You know, that's an important thing as we do doze off in the woods. Lindsay, maybe more so than others, but (laughs) I like to sleep. (laughs) Um, Make sure if you are up in a tree stand to practice those safety measures and wear that um, wear that safety harness. We want to make Good sure everybody's call. safe out yes. there and yep. sleeping soundly. Yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> yep. Well, I wonder if um, maybe before we transition into talking about the direction of the podcast, we each go around and give our listeners like our challenge. Like what is your challenge to the listeners, Nadia, moving forward? Putting me on the spot. I know. I started with you right away. We yeah. made eye contact. No. Sorry. <laughs> you know, maybe whether or not they decide to take us up on this challenge is up to them. But I have my own personal challenge, and maybe it'll apply to others. And, uh, you know, this this podcast is intended to be all-encompassing in that, yes, we talk about hunting, we talk about fishing, and then we talk about the really weird stuff. Then we talk about, you know, rules and regs and laws, all of the things that make up um, being an outdoors, you know, enthusiast in today's day and age. I think it's really easy to get into a routine, right? So you have your your favorite seasons, your favorite equipment, your favorite people that you go out with. My challenge to myself, and I hope others will challenge themselves to do this as well, is to broaden that. Um, I really want to go mushroom hunting. I've never done that. I've never foraged. And, you know, that's something that I, in the past, uh, sorry, Lindsay, in, in the past, I've heard of that and I go, ah, that's not really for me. Like, I'm going to use the word hippie-ish, you know, (laughs) and I'm, I'm not against anybody and I'm not judging, but I'm like, man, I need more action. I need something that I can, you know, I need a bow. I need a gun. I need, you know, a kayak. Um, 
But I actually think that that goes like when you want to talk about independence, like what other way to be totally self-sufficient than to be able to go out into the woods and know what food you can like harvest. Yeah. Yeah. I know nothing about edible plants and flowers. So that's my challenge to myself is to broaden the scope of what I see as being Mm -hmm. harvesting. I think that would be so cool. And from a safety perspective, like, Hey, if I ever get stranded out in the woods, I may not have a bow. I may not have a gun. Um, so what am I going to do? So I'm hoping, you know, that I can learn something from Lindsay and from some of other special guests. And uh, that would be my challenge to others is broaden your mindset of, of what you deem to be interesting because you don't know until you try it. Oh, yeah. Well, and anyone that doesn't think uh, foraging is full of action has never been foraging with Lindsay Ryan because, oh, my <laughs> gosh, that girl gets excited. <laughs> yeah. And you might get poison ivy, too, which can be yeah. exciting. Okay. Part of the adventure. Laura, what about you? What's your challenge to our listeners? Oh man. I'm so I'm going to do like Nadia. I have a challenge for myself. Um, and hopefully listeners will take it up as well. But so Lindsay and I have alluded on several episodes to the fact that on our social media, we basically unfollowed everybody and we only follow nature groups. Mm-hmm. So like when we're scrolling through our feeds, we're just passively learning about native plants or snakes or bumblebees, whatever. Um, and so that has inspired me to reopen my iNaturalist account which is a citizen science, if you guys haven't seen it, um, online database, and you can uh, download an app and then whatever species you see, you just take a photo and then upload it with its location. And then if you don't know the species, experts will help you identify it. And so it's this really cool global citizen science effort. And um, I would like to challenge myself to do at least five uploads this summer and I want to focus on bees, uh, bumblebees, because wow. they're in decline cool. and we don't have enough data in Kansas. So that's going to be my challenge is like five solid photos of bumblebees and I identify them to the species. Wow. So I love that. Check it out. iNaturalist. I just re-upped my account. Ooh. I got, it's addictive. Like it I is. would go on there and help people ID stuff and it became a little bit of a life suck. So I had to get away from it for a little bit because I was like, okay, I'm going to get on here and spend four hours IDing wildflowers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's awesome. But I had to take a break from it because it was getting in the way of doing other things with my personal time. Um, but I recently got back on there and I started doing it again and I spent six hours the other day identifying. So improvements are being made. (laughs) Amazing. But I, it's not like every day now I've limited myself to once a week to getting online naturalists and like uploading the stuff that I have found and helping other people ID stuff. So I am with you on that goal. That is awesome. Awesome. Well, and let me just say as a professional biologist, we do use that data. Absolutely. That data is used. So please upload. Don't go crazy like Lindsay. Maybe just (laughs) once a week. And if you happen to see a spotted skunk, don't just go on iNaturalist. Please call the department because we're on the lookout for those guys as well. So citizen science, that needs to be a future podcast topic because that's a really interesting partnership between the public and the science community. So let's talk about that sometime. Oh, yeah, we should. Well, and then, you know, it's never too early to start preparing a great, um, you know, lead into that is our Christmas bird count. Um, so oh, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely have to Absolutely. talk about that more. But if you've never really participated in citizen science before, that's a great place to start. So we'll definitely have another podcast on that. Um, I think my challenge to our listeners and to myself, I really like that you guys are going that direction, is um, to take someone new and to not underestimate your qualifications as a mentor. Um, you know, in R3, in the realm of trying to welcome more people to all that Kansas has to offer in the outdoor realm, 
um, I think our mentors feel like they're underqualified of like, oh, you know, I've only gone out hunting a handful of years. I don't know that I could take somebody new for the first time or, you know, I'm new with this activity myself. I'm not 100% sure you are qualified. Give someone else that gift. However little knowledge you feel you have, um, share that with people because it is so important. And I don't, for whatever reason, we get in our heads and think that we have to be the best and know everything about something to share it with others or to teach someone new. And that is just not the case. Take people out, share your knowledge, however limited with them. And, you know, you will learn from each other. You will learn from being in the field. It's so important. So I think that's what my challenge would be is to try new things, um, broaden your horizons. And as you're doing that, take new people. I like it. I love it. That's great. (laughs) Get rid of your imposter syndrome. Yes. Yes, man. We all need to work on that. It's always a thing. Um, Speaking of trying new things, I'm pretty sure that we've assigned Nadia up to take us all waterfowl hunting this year. Yeah. I'm down. I've all told you. Yeah. Let's do it. I want to experience that nap. Let's do it. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And yeah, the nap. Oh, I'll tell you, man. We're going to start with teal, right? Yeah, I no, think so. We absolutely could. You know, yeah. the, the weather's more pleasant during teal season. I will yeah. tell you, they are like little fighter jets in the sky. Yeah. They are deceivingly fast. So, um, you know, I will say the weather gets colder when the big ducks are in, but they do pose a larger target. They are easy to identify, easier to identify than a teal zooming past you. But if we go together, I will absolutely help out with identification. Uh, you'll get to meet Coda because she's all about waterfowl hunting. In fact, all four of our labs are. So you guys could each have a dog uh, to your side who oh can do gosh. your retrieving for you. I'm, I'm all about it. Let's do a women's waterfowl hunt. That sounds so I fun. love that. Well, we got to get Dove done too. We've yes. talked about that as well. well. Yeah, warm up with Dove, then Teal, yes. teal. then yeah. everything else. We've talked a lot about hunting today, but I've, we, have. we have to mention the fact that I think we're all pretty diverse in our outdoor pursuits and are yes. always looking to learn more. And maybe that leads into... <laughs> The direction of what Lindsay just made a weird face. Oh, no, I was going to say that's like my goal. Oh, yeah. We Another goal. Done, yeah. We haven't done her. Yeah. Time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, my my goal. Goal. Your goal. So I know that now that COVID is kind of tapering off and everyone's getting back into the swing and stuff and everybody's getting really, really busy. I just I want to challenge all of our listeners and us as hosts and Megan, our producer, to remember to slow down and oh, good one. like go for a walk. Just get some fresh air. Take some time for yourself and just enjoy being out in nature because it really makes a difference. I mean, I try to get out and do a 10 minute walk at least once a day and it completely resets my mind. Like I'm ready to go back to work and I'm more focused and I'm more excited about the day. And it's just, just remember to slow down every now and then. Very good. I felt that. I I felt that in the room and we're not even outside. Yeah. So, yeah. I love that. Well, I wonder if maybe as we start, um, you know, challenging our listeners, we also challenge our listeners to share with us what you want to learn more about. So as you're getting out, as you're coming across questions in the outdoors or things that you're just interested in learning more on, reach out to us with the Flatlander podcast, um, reach out to the Kansas Wildlife Federation and get involved with them, reach out to our agency and our partners. Um, you know, we want to make sure that this podcast is addressing your needs and addressing the things that you're interested in. So don't be afraid to reach out to us and tell us what you think. Or if you want to be 
a guest because something else that we've talked yeah. about is bringing on some of our listeners to actually be on a podcast episode. So we want to hear oh, your yeah. Yes. Do you have yeah. a fear factor story? <laughs> Do you know about the demonic raccoons? Does no. it have leathery wings and chase yeah. you the driveway? Yeah. We usually do like an October story for that, like kind of Halloween vibe. I'm all about yeah. it. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. But no, if you've got a neat story or a neat experience that you think listeners would be interested in, uh, shoot us an email and maybe we can work out a, a recording session for you too. So. Okay. So if there are people out there who have these questions and they want to get in touch with us, what's the best way for them to do that? Facebook Messenger. So um, our uh, producer, Megan, actually manages our social media as well. So if you shoot Kansas Wildlife Parks and Tourism, soon to be Kansas Wildlife and Parks, a message on Facebook, uh, Megan will get you taken care of. So should we let our listeners know what to expect, like what's coming next for the podcast? Oh, we always have fun things on the horizon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I can promise there will be a Migratory Bird Treaty Act episode. We're going to mm -hmm. dive deep into that. It might take place in a coffee shop. Yes. No. <laughs> After a waterfall hunt, maybe. Yes. Um, what else is on the horizon? Um, I've already mentioned the upcoming episodes that we have about bats. Um, cicadas. Cica I, I, I get to go to Tennessee and I'm going to look for the periodical cicadas this week. And um, I'm hoping that we do an episode about periodical cicadas because Kansas is going to be due yes. here in oh, a couple yeah. years. And I know a lot of people have questions about them and I'm going to get some legitimate audio from those eardrum busting decibels from the cicadas. <laughs> we really are excited. ready. <laughs> That's so exciting. So look for a cicada episode. We're going to do farm bill episode. We've got um, lesser prairie chicken episode. Very timely. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to forget about our farmers, our ranchers, our landowners. So some of that stuff is going to be so important. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. We, uh, since the weather is really nice, we know a lot of you are starting to hit the water or you might have questions about boating and watercraft. So we're going to have a boating episode coming up pretty quick. I want to do an episode called, what is that bird? Oh, <laughs> I mean, that that would be good. That's, that's like a fifteen-part episode. Yeah, yes. Well, it is. and I wanted next spring we'll do one. What is that bird I'm hearing from my turkey blind? Yeah. Because oh, spring yeah. is when all the birds are waking up, and it's just it's super fun mm -hmm. to bird from your turkey blind. Yes, I, I sound. That. Yeah, That'd be a great one. I know we've talked about too um, stories from the field, and especially our game wardens. Yes, yes. you talk about mm -hmm. people that have come across some weird, wild, and unusual things in the field. Mm -hmm. Those men and women have some incredible stories to share, so. and strange sounds that I'm sure they've came across oh, that yeah. definitely weren't coming from animals. <laughs> so yes, um, we've got some great uh, men and women in law enforcement, and in you know we have law enforcement trained staff in parks and public lands, and I'm sure all of them have encountered some interesting scenarios worth sharing so and not just you know poaching related but just weird instances maybe Lindsay unexplainable events so maybe we could have a little <laughs> x-files episode you know yeah. like so uh, yeah we'll definitely have to invite some staff to share some of their stories if you guys think that would be interesting I love it. And you too. I think we've got a lot of really awesome things in store. Um, as always, we want to hear from you guys. So be sure to like and share this with all of your friends and family. Um, rate the podcast and leave comments so we know how we can do better or what you love most. And that way we can emphasize some of those aspects and highlight them. Um, be sure to follow us on Facebook for Kansas Wildlife Parks and Tourism. And then also um, the Kansas Wildlife Federation as well. Be sure to like and follow their page. Yep. Facebook and Instagram. Kansas Wildlife Federation. Remember, guys, flat is what? A, A state, state of mind. <laughs>
Flatlander podcast is made possible through a partnership between the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks and the Kansas Wildlife Federation. Sound and production by Megan Mayhew. Music by Kansas locals, the Box Turtles. Become a member of KWF for free by visiting kansaswildlifefederation.org. And be sure to follow KWF on Facebook at Kansas Wildlife Federation and on Instagram at KS Wildlife Fed. Stay up to date on all things KDWP by following the department on Facebook at Kansas Wildlife and Parks and on Instagram at the KDWP. Remember, the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks is supported by flatlanders like you through the sale of licenses and permits. Consider buying a hunting or fishing license today to conserve and protect the wild spaces and faces that make Kansas more than flyover country.